G'day punters and welcome to Inside 50 and what a footy resume our guest this week has. Robert Harvey, a Saint from 1988 to 2008, 383 games for the Saints, a two-time Brown medalist, an eight-time All-Australian, a four-time St Kilda Best and Ferris winner, a three-time EJ Winton medalist. The team of the century for the Saints, nominated by Shane Crawford as the best player he's ever played against, and he saved me from getting my head kicked in at an event one time. We'll get to that story and more. A very warm welcome to Robert Harvey. I'm looking forward to getting to that story. Well, that's that's got my mind racking already. I don't know what you're talking about there, but... Pleasure to be here. Good to, have, good to be here. And Croft, we've had you speak about halves multiple times throughout the course of the year. A man you have so much respect for, and it's great to have him on the podcast today. Yeah, midfield royalty. Uh, one of the all-time greats and a role model for definitely myself and a lot of midfielders back in the day. But uh, an absolute running machine. He used to have this little trick up his sleeve. He'd get to a contest, he'd put his hands on his knees. you think he's having a bit of a rest, and then... You turn around and he's down the other end of the ground with the footy. He's a freak. Actually, because um, a lot of people say that to me about that um, on your knees thing. It's, it's, literally, you, you, you're gassed at the say the stoppage. But I worked out like because I didn't know I didn't actually know I did it until you know like so people actually say oh you did this thing where you put your thing and then um, I, I was racking my brain and think why, why do I do that and and I was a Mad Essen supporter as a kid and Mum used to take me to Windy Hill every week. And I love Timmy Watson. I've his posters everywhere Timmy, of Timmy Watson. And I, I noticed he did it. So it's almost like um, learnt behaviour. I just watched him so closely as a kid that um, I just actually mimicked what he did. I didn't know I did it until um, I got told I did it. And then I, I had a look and said, I don't know why I do that. But yeah, It was a great way to lull the opposition into a false well, sense of security. And you two had some great battles against each other. Harves, tell us about playing on Croft. Um We played... Oh, no, oh look, oh, you might know. Oh, oh, my memories. Getting fade. Oh, you're a lot younger than me, Croft. So my my memory's fading quickly. But I know at least we played. Would have played on each other maybe half a dozen times. I, I may. I, I'm not. Maybe I'm short or long. I'm not sure. Um, but a couple of them were at Waverley, and uh, both of our home grounds as uh, Hawks and Saints players were at Waverley. And the size of that ground just so so big. Like it, it, no ground in the AFL now is like the Waverley was then. Um, and back then we didn't come off. We we played pretty much all day, to, and we just played on each other all, all game. And I think, um, like, I, I'm not sure of your recollection, but I reckon they did clock both of us running around together somewhere in the 20s. Was it? Uh, maybe uh, am I exaggerating there, Croft? I don't know if you can remember, but I reckon we were, we were sort of somewhere in the 20k mark, both of us running around together um, on the Waverley. Um, eventually coming together at stoppages and then get, getting on our bikes and getting busy. But um, oh, we, we, I reckon we we probably split the honours over the years too. He, he got me a couple of times. I might have got him a couple of times, but we had some great battles. It was um, it was awesome because we were both similar in the fact that uh, we just love running machines, to, you know, trying to work out work each other over. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Well, let's be honest, you got me way more than I got you. And then um, there was one game out at Waverley where the thing is, when you play on Robert Harvey, you either go negative as a defender, you know, a, a tagging type and try and stop his imports, or you try and actually take him on. So I actually tried to take him on. But the thing is, there was one game and we finished the Siren Blue. And obviously back then you'd play on your opponent, and you just go running all day. So you were responsible for one man. You just knew you had to try and stop any influence that he was going to have, but he'd always get 40-odd touches, which is probably 60 in today's footy. 
And there was one game where we came together at the end, we shook each other's hands and we looked at each other and we just started shaking our heads going, this, we can't play like this. We can't keep doing this because we ran each other into the ground and I'll never forget it. And that, that was a day where um, it was rumoured that, you know, you're clocking up to 20 kilometres each. So really we've, we've smashed out, you know, a marathon whilst trying to run around and kick the footy and lay some tackles and do all that. But, um, no, he, he was definitely a role model for all the midfielders coming was, through. There was one game, I don't know if you remember one game, well, you would remember it because it, um, it was at Waverley. And I reckon we were playing on each other. And maybe five or ten minutes into the second quarter, we, we, we got to 60, 62 or 63 points up in the early in the second quarter. We were just couldn't do anything wrong in the uh, in that first quarter. We would have kicked um, ten goals plus, I reckon, in the first quarter. And you guys come back and won that game. It was under Timmy Watson and uh, as, as coach. And it was almost the beginning of the end for him, I think. Um, and use, I just can't, I just never forget um, Daniel Harford carrying on. He's, he's a member of the station, <laughs> carrying on at the end of it um, as, as he's coming home with a wet sail. And yeah, that, do you remember that game? Yeah, that, that was quite remarkable because early on, you know, I'm pretty sure my name was circled and uh, most of St Kilda were trying to knock my head off. You were probably the only one because you were running and attacking the footy, whereas everyone else was trying to knock my head off. But um, yeah, no, I'll never forget that because. You know, you, you come together and you just think at half time we've got no chance. We've got to try and show a bit of fight here. And then all of a sudden, a bit of momentum. And before we knew it, we were back in the ball game. Um, you know, everyone had lifted and half was up and about. And when half's up and about, he does get very happy. He's happy at the best of time, even when he's not up and about. And um, I do think, I think that was the game that pretty much uh, ended Timmy Watson's career because yeah. it was a remarkable turnaround. Obviously not like today's footy where, you know, the tide can turn pretty quickly. Back then, you know, it was it was very rare that you, you had matches like that. But um, that was certainly one of the greats. And I, I tell you what, Quinny, I'd always, when you come up against St Kilda and you know you're going to play on Robert Harvey, um, you know, a lot of sleepless nights, not only for myself, but for all the opposition um, over the time because you just knew that you had to leave it all out there. Um, and a bit, a bit like... Jack McRae, um, Haas would just get the bloody footing. He just, I don't know, like Tom Mitchell, um, Jack McRae, but with a real sort of running machine behind him. Mate, he could just rack up possession after possession and um, and not only get the footy, but run and carry the footy as well. So that's yeah, pretty scary. It was, it was a different time. It was a different time because you, you, we didn't come off. Like, And if you come off, you come off because you're dragged. It was literally run to your drop and see, just literally run your opponent so hard into the ground that you can't, you can't go anymore. And there was two, it was either two types, and I, and you you would have been the same. You're playing a midfielder who would get after you, who couldn't run, but get, would get after you inside. And um, I played a lot on um, Greg Williams early. I don't know if you ever played on Diesel or played against Diesel, but um, he was one of the he was one of the other types. So he'd, he'd try and bash you like in the stoppages and. <laughs> Um, and he would. He, he was. He's so, so tough. And then there was the types like Croft, um, Ben Cousins, uh, who I played on a couple of times as well. Uh, Jose Ramiro. They're just running machines. And, and Sean Hart. Like I'm sure you would have tagged you Croft as well. And they're just absolute running machines. So there's those two types of midfielders you played on the, in that period. Um, it was it was different time. It was different time, and it was literally like run to your drop, and then. Run more, you know, like it's it's exhaustion stuff, you know. 
It's crazy. It must have been nice playing against each other. Obviously, you had so much respect for each other, but a rarity where you'd both go out with your opponent trying to get the ball as opposed to trying to stop you. Yeah, well, there, well, there was, and there, but back then you'd have the tag, the like the tagger, like Libba's old man Tony, uh, who um, who was a full on tagger, so and Jose Ramiro's a full on tagger. So you had you had those guys going after you, but then sometimes, uh, say me and Crawford playing each other, me and cousins would cousin uh, would playing each other, and it'd it'd be a true battle, like it'd be a really true battle between two midfielders, and um, that's pure footy, like that's that's really good footy, and it's, you know, I think you see it at times now. Say, Bonson Pally might. You know, man up against Dangerfield at a stoppage, but it just doesn't last because they're they're always they're spinning off every five minutes. See, this was true though. This was like it was it was, and you you're accountable. So Croft had forty and I had twenty. That everyone knew it. You know, so you couldn't get away from that fact, and that's it was written about before or after. No accountability. Yes, whatever it was and. Um, it was a true battle. Like, it was really good footy. It was really good footy. Love the footy. One-on-one footy across the field. Yeah. But we'll go back down memory lane and take a look at your early days. You started playing your junior footy at Seaford, and you're also an excellent cricketer. You're in the Victorian under-19s as well. So sport was obviously something you loved and something you were very good at. Yeah, well, I was more of a cricketer. My, my family um, pedigree was in cricket, so uh, my family was all cricket. Uh, my, my great-grandfather played for Australia. He, he was a really good player, Neil Harvey, and, and he was a um, his brother is my grandfather, so he he played a test for Australia. So, and my obviously my dad and his brother and all my cousins, we all played cricket growing up. So footy was my second sport, clearly, and my second love. Um, and I, I I was lucky enough in the early days to when I did start playing, I was lucky enough to get a game at St Kilda when I was sixteen. But um, I played district cricket at uh, at the top level until I was twenty one, I think. So so I had five years where I was playing. AFL and, and playing district, district cricket, I was lucky lucky to do that. And I was a, I was actually a bowler, so that, that was that was a bit hard on the body. But I was very very privileged and lucky to be able to play both for so long. And my, the coaches and back then it wasn't just quite full time, but um, yeah, I was lucky. Croft, bit of a theme on this podcast: these athletes that are so good across multiple sports. What type of bowler were you? It yeah. Had to have some running in it. Well, Robert Harvey. <laughs> I was I was a left arm actually left. All my family's heritage was, was batsman. I was left arm quick, um, opening bowler. So um, opened the bowling for Victorian Nineteens and and um, for Fitzroy Doncaster in the um, district cricket. And I would have come in sort of nine or ten or something like that. But it, yeah, I was a bowler. So it, but um, yeah, steamed in as fast and as I could and throw it, threw him down and um, had a. Had and a could you swing the ball? No, nah, not really. Could you swing I, the ball? I, I, yeah, I'd love to have had that. Like that little in swing, like Mitchell Stark is that lefty, but I just couldn't get it going. I was more of a, a slant across and and come in, but I couldn't just couldn't get that ball coming back, which all the good lefties do. And listening to you oh, yeah. speak previously about your junior career, it sounds like you're a very good footballer, but maybe not as highly regarded as someone with your magnificent footy resume. We would think that they would have been. You said in one interview it was basically from an injury that you got the opportunity as a midfielder and from yeah. there you went on with it. Yeah, well, I was probably more – I was doing well. I was actually doing well in juniors and stuff at Seaford. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of people do that. So it was more um, – it was a late uh, – it, it was Johnny Beveridge, who's uh, Luke Beveridge's dad – he was there. He was the recruiting manager there, so he he would um, come and watch me play at Seaford, and he'd ask me down a couple of times. I just didn't want to go. Like I, I was um, really happy where I was. I, I just I had no interest in going. So in the end, um, 
dad sort of bundled me in a car and basically made me go to this um, under under it was back then under nineteens. It wasn't sort of pre drafty stuff. It was under nineteens. Bundled me in a in a car for a training camp in January, um, which I, I was refused point blank to go. But he he, he forced me to go, and thank God he did because. Um, I managed to get they get get onto this last list of the under nineteens, and then I, I managed to get a game in the first uh, in eighty eight. Was and I was in the first game of the under nineteens that year, but I played back pocket, which I never played back pocket in my life, and um, rightly got my ass kicked in the first <laughs> quarter. I was so I was off. I was dragged onto the bench in the first game, and I was expecting it dropped in the second week of the under nineteens, and um, and I was I had scraped on this list anyway. So <laughs> happy days. I'll go back to Seaford. And um, she's done, sort of thing, because I wouldn't have come back. And they they, they must have talked about. I have talked to the coach since, and he talked about dropping me. And he, he, they they started me on the bench in the second week, and we played at Windy Hill in the under nineteens. And they had this gun bush recruit uh, who was in the centre, and I was on the bench. And you didn't get on until the injury back then. And he 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 went down. This big boom recruit. I can't remember his name, went down in the in the centre and I come on and six games later or eight games later I was in the seniors. It was um it was just and it, which was a bit of an in, probably an indictment on where St Kilda was at at the time. Um but it was just luck the luck of the draw. I, I could have been literally gone forever if that sort of sliding door moment didn't happen in that uh non end game. It was hundred percent if I had been dropped I would not have gone back. And I and I know they talked about it in selection, and, and it's just one of those one of those moments in time, you know. Like you just go, it's just lucky, lucky it happened that way, and it did. And um, I got my chance, and then you know, as I said, six day, six six or eight games later, I'm in the ones. Safe to say, Croft, three hundred eighty three games later for St Kilda, I think they're pretty happy that incident in the under nineteens occurred. Well, it, it's funny because we've had Glenn Archer on before, and he went down to North Melbourne, had a go for the first week, and said, "No, nah, I'm not coming back." Um, I'm going to stay at Noble Park. So can you imagine Glenn Archer not returning and Robert Harvey not returning uh, to fulfil, you know, their potential and play over footy? That would be, uh, well, that would just be absolutely crazy. So, Harv, so you get the opportunity at St Kilda, but what made you turn into the running machine that you were? Were you someone who just loved training and loved pushing yourself to the limit? Well, back... um not not initially, not initially, and I probably didn't really cut my teeth on that. I, I sort of was a good runner as a kid in that, but I didn't really understand what it was about. And when I went to St Kilda, obviously it w- wasn't a great culture at the time. We were, we were winning wooden spoons rather than challenging for finals at that time. And um, I had two great role models in particular. in the cause, And then I think, as you would agree, Croft, when you're a young player, yeah, there's a couple of senior guys that you just remember, like they looked after you or they you just gravitated towards. So I had two of those guys who, um, one was the late, great Trevor Barker and one was the late, great Danny Frawley. And, and they, they both um, took me under their wing, almost like father-like figures because I, I just didn't want to be – they could probably tell I didn't want to be there. And Barks, um, Barks, I used to go around to his house. I was only 16 or whatever, but go around to his house, he'd look after me um, – and he he was like a literally a playboy off the field. He he was like li- living the life um, <laughs> off the field like you wouldn't believe. Because back back in those days, the disco was pumping better than more. There was more action on the disco than there was on the field for, at the Saints at the time. And um, and he was he was front and center on that. But but what he what he what he did teach me was this true passionate love for St Kilda. Like it was unbelievable. It just radiated out of him as soon as you spoke to the guy. This love and passion for St Kilda. And he, he he's I think in the in the eighties he took 
you know, ten cents in the dollar, made all the players to take as a captain, made all the players. So he saved the club basically. Um, and I just, I just loved his passion. And one thing he did, whatever he did on the Saturday night, and we all did. Um, at times, it was pretty, it was pretty loose in those early days. He would go for this ten k run on Sunday, no matter what happened, and particularly if he played poorly. And um, it was just a really, it just stuck with me straight away. I said that, yeah, you can live that, but you got to pay the price on the other side. So we always played hard, but we trained hard. And I think that was the sign of the times in the in back then. And Danny Frawley um, was more of a he, him and Anita, and he, he started his young family. Then um, him and Anita took me under their wing as a uh, go around to their house for dinner to it twice a week, just almost adopted sort of you know look after you, sort of nurture you through those early years. And that so he was a bit different in that that respect, but so competitive and so trained so hard as well. And yeah, they just they just stick with you, those guys, and they. They teach you. They teach you how to how to train, and and then I sort of went too far the other way and trained too much. But in the end, um, you'd rather that than the other way. But um, yeah, that's probably where that came from. And it was a whirlwind rise for you. You've talked about the fact you were lucky to get in the under 19s, or you got in there after an injury, and then later on in that season, round 19 in 1988, as a 16 year old, you're still in year 11 at John Paul College. You make your debut for the Saints against Footscray at the Western Oval, now Witten Oval. What can you remember about that day? <laughs> I remember um, that I lined, lined up on the half forward flank, and uh, you, you're right, you, as you fly in from the half forward flank off the centre square, and this brand new um, red sharing lands right on my hands, straight straight from the first contest, lands in my hands. I say, "How is this game?" Like straight straight kick kick it forward, um, and then I had I think I had six six more possessions for the rest of the game. We lost by seventy five or seventy eight points, which is pretty good for us back then, to be honest. But it, but we got our ass kicked. And so I had, um, I should have been dropped all intents and purposes for the for those. I played the last four games in '88. But Daryl Bordock, the great Daryl Bordock, um, great St Kilda man, great coach, great great person, um, had said to me before I played, "We're going to play you no matter what." For these last, and it gave me good comfort to for these last four games. We're going to play you. No way I should have played, and I, and I was lucky not to ever get dropped. But I should have been dropped. And, and he, but it gave a young guy who, you know. Needed some, you know, some confidence at that time. He said, "No, nah, you're in, and just just back yourself in." And it just gave me confidence into the preseason, into next year to go go and do my thing. And um, yeah, I was I was appreciative of that. Hey, Harv, um, do you think it's quite incredible? You, you talk about charging off the line from half forward from the wing, as you used to do. You used to fly in, and everyone just tried to go at the footy. Whereas these days, and you would have coached it, uh, especially this year. Is you'd, you'd send the wingers, don't go. I don't want you to run in. I want you to hold space, you know, so we can spread out half forwards. I don't need you pushing up at times. Has it blown your mind the way that the game's changed? Yeah, and even now, like, when you see that, and I reckon you'd be the same when you watch a game, whether you're doing the media or whatever, when you actually see those wingers and they just stand there, it doesn't look right. Like, uh, there's something about it yeah. doesn't look right, but it's just the way this structural, the, the, the game's played now. Everything's, it's all, it is that chess-like factor of how the game's played now and it's almost like um, players have got to think so much about every piece of the puzzle that um, but back then it really was all effort based stuff on it so you got to, you're either harder the ball or you're harder than you're running and you there was no in between but now there's so much thinking and structure like we didn't have to deal with that stuff back then as you know and when you see it now I just don't it doesn't look right it doesn't look right that guys don't don't run into us but in, in the end um, 
it's 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 it is like a giant game of chess. That the structure is so important now that everyone you do you know you, you do now get in trouble or players get more um in more in trouble for for going at the ball too hard than than not at all and and, and say getting three to one or four to one in a contest where um back then it was just it was just knock yourself out go your hardest and it's um it's definitely changed. Your early days at St Kilda in the under-19s, the full forward was a bloke called Shane Warne. Tell us about playing your footy with Warney. Well, I, I do remember it because he, um, he was loose and he, he was like, he was the opposite of me in the fact that I love cricket more than footy and he loved footy more than cricket. Um, and he was, a, he was a tragic. He loved the footy so much. Um, and he had, he, had the, um, he had the blonde locks, the 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 dyed blonde hair, and he was a big boy. Like he, when he started playing footy, he was—I mean, it always fluctuated with his weight as a cricketer. But he was a big boy back then, and he so he was a genuine full forward, a bit like Plugger, and um, fancied himself. He kicked a lot of goals. He was a good player. He was actually a really good player. But I remember talking to him in those early days when we played together in under nineteens, um, and I just—I think I was just playing sub district cricket at the time. So coming up, and I said, "What?" I knew he'd played cricket, and I said, "Where, where are you playing?" And he said, oh, I'm at St Kilda in the uh, – yeah, oh, yeah, so you gone there. And he was would have been 18 or 17, maybe – 18, maybe. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm in the fours at St Kilda. And um, and li- literally a bit like what I was saying, I reckon a year later he was on the SCG to Boone <laughs> for Australia. But he was in the fours. <laughs> he, was, he was in the fours at St Kilda at the time and full forward for us. And he would have kicked – He'd, he'd probably safely kick three or four a week, you know, and, and be. But he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And he, if you if you give him a choice, I reckon he would have been AFL player every day of the week. He just could, loved it. So could much. he have progressed a bit more? Do you I think? I think he could have if he had a if he had a knuckle down, you know, and really sort of you know started to train harder and and do all those things. He could have. Yeah, he could have. He had the he had the talent. He was a really skillful um, boy, and he really had obviously he's got that coordinate hand eye coordination. But he was a good player, mate. He, he had a really good footy brain and. Uh, he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And Croft, no doubt he's told you over a beer many times he could have played in the AFL. Oh, Warney, no, we love Warney. Um, keeps it real. Um, he does float around every now and then. I hear a car pooning around and it's always Warney. Um, he, he loves the hot cars. But um, I, I want to get back to your cricket, Arves, Um And don't say, oh, I don't know. So what was the highest score that you've ever made? And what was the most amount of wickets you ever got in a match? Surely uh, you remember that. No, nah, well, I don't. Well, I remember I that remember. I made 100, but, but I made 100, a couple of hundreds in juniors. But I made a seven, I think I, I went in one day at um, District 1s and made a 70 as a, a 9 or a 10. So just the late order fl- uh, flurry. Um, I had a couple of fifers in district, but I would have got, I think I got eight for once as a junior. You would have got eight for as a junior too. Like every, everyone gets eight for as a junior. Um <laughs> <laughs> and no, nah, that's so I made made a couple of tons, um, made a seventy at, at district, and I think I did take eight for one day in the juniors. Yeah, was, uh, I think how's that eight go? Eight. Yeah. Oh, that, no, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I actually won the fielding in year twelve at Assumption <laughs> College. I won the fielding award. That's how I went. <laughs> 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 that's the award you don't want to win, and I won the fielding yeah, award. Like, so, what was your second sport, Croft? <laughs> oh no, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed athletics. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So I liked athletics, but I did play cricket. So I, but I love fielding. So yeah, I yeah. won the fielders award. 
Oh dear me. I like the fact that everyone took eight for Junior just how you just casually just dropped that in their halves. Not all of us blessed with the sporting ability that you've got. What was it like when you were in year 11 and 12 playing for St Kilda on the weekend then going to school on a Monday? Yeah, that was tough. And, uh, and um, if I had, do have a regret, it's the, that my studies suffered poor, uh, really badly. And I managed did scrape through year 12, but only just. And I, I literally, um, yeah, I was barely turning up there for a while, which is not great. And I, I, I was uh, frustration for my mum. And I look back now and say, well, yeah, it wasn't. I should have, I should have put in more, but it was pretty hard because, um, you know, I literally at times I get it, get home from school. I, ride, I used to ride my bike to for home from school, get it, drop the bag at three thirty, and then jump on. Or the mum would be home, or she'd be at work, and I'd jump on the train to Moorabbin and get get off, um, get on my bag, get off and get changed and train there and come back. So it was it was pretty hard. I was doing that two or three times a week. Um, and then obviously playing on the weekend um, at Moorabbin, which was um, <laughs> it was an unbelievable experience in itself. Like I was privileged as a player to have experienced that that place. It was an unbelievable place, you know. To the so picture, you know, you go to school all week, and I was playing school footy on Wednesdays, and I reckon you would have been the same at assumption. Maybe crawl for you play that mid mid week game of footy. Um, so I was I was at John Paul College, but but I was playing uh, footy on the Wednesdays as well. Um, and then playing on Saturday, but yeah, so literally um, full house at Rabin, like Plugger going absolutely, you know, at his absolute peak. Like I was lucky enough to get him at his absolute prime, and the joint would just rock. Like it, 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 he would kick, he would regularly kick nine to ten in the first half, and if he had a, if he had us trained a bit harder and he sort of had some sort of fitness base, he would have kicked twenty regularly. I'm sure he would have. Because you just had to get the ball somewhere near him, and the that whole st- that whole stand that went I don't know if you've been to Moorabbin in the old days the whole stand that went around there just just to shake like with just excitement of when he used to go near the ball it was an extraordinary experience. Uh, so yeah, so going through that early days I was just and I was a sixteen I was going how good is this like, I'm a sixteen year old at school going through this and then. I go. We'd 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 finish the game. Often we'd lose, but occasionally we'd win. And if we did have a win, it was like you'd won the grand final. And um, we used to have an after match early days, so we'd have a shower. Like they they they'd have cold showers. So we we used to be in the showers, and our steam becoming our showers. And we'd see them going in their cars with mud all over their face, the opposition, because um, we they we used to give them cold showers because it's the only win we often get. Like it's giving them cold showers. So and we. we, we but but in the end, so you go there. We'd have an after match straight into have a couple of beers. The after match, straight up to the social club, um, and a social club was just absolutely chockers with with St Kilda supporters. Uh, Nine thirty, so we'd be up there just mingling amongst everyone. Often turned nasty, heavy fights, and you know, like Nicky Nicky Wimar got a couple of a couple of blues up there. Plugger had a bit of trouble up there at times because there's no security. So used to, we used to go up and it'd just be shoulder to shoulder people in the in the social club. And then nine thirty, about nine thirty, hits the disco ball dropped down, and she was <laughs> she was on. So I was like sixteen, and I and I was and poor old mum. She, she as soon as that as soon as the disco ball dropped, and you know we started having a few beers, and I, um, by the time I, the next thing I knew, it was Monday morning, and I, I was I was, get, I was getting me bag and going to school, and it was like oh this is just um, this is grow up fast stuff, you know. Like I was, it was crazy times, and. Um, I look back now, and I just like with Spartans and, and Barks, and, and just the fun we had. It was a, it was a funny time. It was 
extraordinary good time. And it wasn't just St Kilda. It was it was a sign. Of, it was everyone sort of Richmond. I think had a disco as well. And Essendon used to come up and drink with us. And it was it was good fun. It was good fun. It would have been nice to play on a bloke all day, and you've probably given each other a few clips along the way. And a few hours later, you're having a beer together. Yeah, hundred percent. And and it it was really really regular. Like it was, and it was genuine. Like it was a genuine. Um, you've gone at it tooth and nail for two and a half hours you come in and you genuinely just catch up and everyone look forward to it like everyone look forward getting together it just obviously wouldn't happen now but it was good fun and it was it was that atmosphere as I said at Moorabbin it was I'll never forget it it was unbelievable atmosphere and any St Kilda supporter who has ever been to Moorabbin would, would know what I'm talking about it was an extraordinary experience and uh, it's nothing like and I've, I've played a lot of footy at a lot of stadiums after that Nothing would ever compare to that. I'll never forget in my lifetime. And, and that's that's back when it was part-time. You're talking about eighteen to 20,000 people at Moorabbin. It would just never compare. It would never compare. History beckons. The AFL footy finals are here. Be a part of the action with Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal kicker and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available during the entire final series on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1800 858 858. Croft, by the time you started, was that mingling post-game out of the footy? Uh, it was just sort of coming towards the end, but um, like the thing about Moorabbin, and I only went there once when I played in the reserves when I was still at school, was that, yeah, it, it was like you, you got real support and there's this absolute passion. You know, they live and breathe to say Kilda football team. So, um, yeah, there was always a, a wonderful uh, opportunity to go and experience something like that. But um, you, you spoke about Plaga and obviously... Um, the late, great Danny Frawley. And I was lucky enough that I spent a bit of time with Spartan. He lived just around the corner from me. And every time I'd see him down the street having a coffee, I'd always spend five minutes. And I'd just laugh. He'd tell me story after story, Harves. And, gee, i tell you what, gee, I would laugh. And he'd, he'd always tell stories about um, Plugger driving up from uh, Ballarat yeah. uh, with Plugger and Burns. Um, yeah, and Burns, just yeah. the stuff they would get up to and, and you were talking about, you know, going up and, you know, going to the social club after the game. And he told me a story how that Plugger got in a bit of trouble one night. He might have even jobbed your CEO at the time, your president or someone. <laughs> and then Spud thought, <laughs> Spud saw these, these two shadows in the car park and then he saw one drop to the ground <laughs> and he's realised that Plugger's just done the job on the, the CEO or the president. And he said, right, I better take care of this. And he threw Plugger in the car and he drove to Plugger's place in Ballarat on the farm. And then he reckons Michael Roberts, who was now working for Channel 9, the next day rocks up to get the scoop. And Plugger's like, who is that? And Spud said, oh, that's Robbo. So, uh, and Spud said, I'll take care of this. The next thing, Plugger's walked out with a gun, pointed it at him and said, you take another step. I'm going to blow your head off. So Robbo jumped in the car and drove back to yeah. Melbourne. It was a big, shot, it was a big shotgun. It's a big shotgun right in the face. <laughs> and, and a lot of um, a lot of Spud stories weren't true, but that one actually was dead set true. It was dead set true. <laughs> but I can vouch. I, I can vouch for that. And, but that, that's the thing with with him, mate. Like he would just hold court, telling stories, and and as the years went on, they were just 
basically made up stories, but because he laughs so, even, and even if it was a flat story, you just laugh at it anyway. So you just laugh at him laughing, like and that's that's the classic with him. Yeah. Any time he was in trouble, he'd either just he'd call someone whatever, like just to get out of trouble, or he'd just start yeah. laughing. And and mate, it, it's yeah. our catch, our past players catch ups just never the same because he's just a whole court yeah. with about twenty people around him telling old stories that we all knew were made up. But it, we we didn't give a shit. He just loved it. Yeah, <laughs> and he, you know what he's like. He's that he had, you know he's like he what well, like you said. You bump into him down the street, and then. Three minutes later, you're laughing like you wouldn't, like you you couldn't, you, your yeah. belly laughing so loud that you you can't stop. And that's what exactly what he was like. He couldn't stop not laughing at him. And even you know when he was carrying on on the bounce in the end or whatever it is, that's just what he's like. He makes everyone laugh. He used to make everyone laugh so much. And um, yeah, as I said, it's never going to be the same because we, we we all catch up and we go, where is he? Where we expecting him to pop up and start telling these yeah. bullshit stories that we're going <laughs> to laugh at? And it was just, yeah, it's just so funny. What was it like during the week at training when you had Frawley on one hand and Plugger at the opposite end of the scale? Yeah, well, and he he did he did try to be the mediator with Plugger because um, he's and I think Sydney was good for Plugger because he he he, could, he got off the um, radar a bit. He just he just hated so much of the life, but he was so good and so loved the actual playing side of it. But but um, Spud had to try and always. You know, because if he didn't want to train, he didn't train. You know, if he if he didn't want to come to train, he didn't come. So in the end, Spud would have to be the one to go and get him or try and talk him off the ledge or whatever it is. And um, he, he so he, and it, sometimes he did it well, but usually time, most of the time, Plugger just telling him to piss off or whatever, <laughs> just to do what he liked. And and no one could control him. So in the end, um, yeah. So Spud was that was that mediator. But um, oh, look, he, he was. Plugger, everyone so he was such an a huge figure that every just everyone wanted to talk about him, everyone a piece of him, you know, and he just wanted nothing of it, none of it. And he even to the point where like back in the day there would be twenty thousand people there and he kicked ten. I think I, I played on this game I played in one game. I would have been I would have been eighteen, I reckon, or seventeen. And he kicked ten goals seven, I reckon, on, on Silvani. And it was just one of the epics. Like, it was one of the great games of footy you'll ever see. And it was chockers at Moorabbin. And Nicky Wimmer, so we were th- four points down with 30 seconds to go. Wimmer runs out of the centre, um, laces him out, marks the ball. So he's, he's got a shot with 15 seconds to go and never missed in that situation. Kicks the goal and we win the game by two points. And so you can imagine no second siren back then. So everyone in the, in every person at that ground wants him. And he wants no one. So he, he, he just wants to be off that ground. And I was playing half, I was playing forward pocket. So um, soon as the soon as he kicks the goal, everyone's going you know, berserk. We beat Carlton, never beat Carlton. And I'm thinking this is going to be interesting because we're we're down this end and the race is there and everyone's streaming on the ground to try and get to Pogger. So this is going to be very very interesting. And sure enough. Well, he didn't. He didn't get any pace up on the ground. But as soon as as soon as that siren went, he started beelining for the um for the race, and it was like no one's. In, and it was like the parting of the sea. So people were coming in. And just you could see people just going, <laughs> and I just fell in behind because like like a speedboat with a wake. I was falling behind. And he just it was just like. And then I think they bought the second siren after that. It was injuries galore. But he um yeah, it was funny. He he, he was. 
He was just larger than life in every way. He was larger than life in every way. He was amazing. And so was Spud, to be honest. So was Spud. And, and uh, obviously, uh, yeah, Spud and, and um, Pogger, and uh, you might be able to confirm if this was a true story <laughs> or not, but he, Spud was the captain, and then obviously it was pre-season and he was coming down from Ballarat with Pogger. Uh, and they got to Luna Park and they thought <laughs> they'd go to Luna Park instead of go to training. Thought, oh, well, let's just go there. Um, and then um, he reckons he had to ring the club and say, oh, the car's broken down. We'll train at the, <laughs> the, the oval yeah. down the road. Yeah, I've heard this and then, um, and then the next day, front page, page on the Herald Sun was Plugger and Spud going down one of the roller coasters. Is that a true story? Well, or is that a false story? Again, there's there's specks of truth in that story. There's specks of truth in because I've heard that story a million times and it changed that much over the years. So, no, nah, yeah, because he had to he had to try and get Plugger there, and that's what I mean. So because Spud, Spud was a big softy deep down, like and so. Stan Elves or whoever it was, the coach at the time, used to say to Spud, "You got to, you got to look after him. You got to get him there. You got to, you got to be the one." So, but Spud really didn't. So, Spud had him to go to training, and then Pug goes, "No, we're not going. Let's go to Luna Park." So, yeah, they went to Luna Park. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, "Okay." <laughs> Big tough Spud. Big tough Spud. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll get in there. So, yeah. So he rang. In, he rang in sick, and then it was on the front page the next day. <laughs> Someone snapped him up down the roll coaster. But yeah, that's that was that was um, comedy capers back then. As you emerged as star player for St Kilda, the team rose up suddenly as well. And in 1991, you returned to the finals. Now, a lot of people think about your career at St Kilda and the Saints being very, very successful. But when you got there, that was certainly not the case. And this was the first time since 1973 the team had made yeah. the finals. What was it like to get back? And you were obviously a very young man, but did you feel to the supporters that meant the world? It did. And there was a bit of – there was just that wave of excitement coming through because we, we had – um, all of a sudden, we had some promise. You know, we showed promise there because Plugger was, as I said, he was at his peak. He was kicking 100 every year. Um, and we had this wave of new guys, so myself and Stewie Lowe and Nathan Burke, from down, all from the morning to potentially coming through. We had Nicky Wimar and we had Gil McAdam. We, we had this just this wave of talent that came through all at once. Um, and it was a, we knew it was there. And I think everyone knew it was there, but it was then pulling it together in the right way. And that's always been a bit of the issue, not just on the, on the field, off the field. Like so, so in the end, there was always something wrong. There's always something missing in the in the. You know, you, you look at the great ones now, like Geelong make the grand for the finals every year. Hawthorne, you know, had their four in a row. Richmond, there's 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 this that the whole joint is together. We could we couldn't get anything together. We, we're always disjointed somewhere. And we just, but there was this feeling that we had this talent. So how are we going to pull all this together? And um, but it was a, the supporters were they were starved so much of it, particularly through the eighties, and they had, obviously the sixties and seventies were good, but then the eighties was shocking. And then all of a sudden we had this wave of excitement, and and it, you know, it sort of it sort of coincided with us finishing at Moorabbin and going to Waverley, and there was just that huge wave of excitement, and, and it was like we we can do some damage here. It was really really good time. And obviously the club's going really well, and then 12 months later, Plugger leaves St Kilda. What do you recall about that? Well, it was one of those ones that probably had to happen for everyone, and for him and him and us, because it was just getting. It was like a probably a bad marriage in the end, in the fact that if you don't make the cut, if you don't make the break, now, like it's going to be really hard to make it at all. So um, 
I think it was just the right time for everyone. And, you know, we, we, we managed to get some good players in. Um, he went to Sydney where he loved it, you know, so much more being off the road. He was just getting increasingly frustrated with the media and the attention down here. And it just was the right time. It was the right time for him to go. Um, and I think it really helped us probably flat, flourish as a group. You're like we sort of come out a bit from behind the shadow of, you know, because it was always there's always that. What are we going to do with him? Or what? You know, how's it how's it all going to come together? And um, yeah, so we we sort of almost, you know, all come sort of come out outside of that to to come together as a team. And Craw, if you look back on what happened there with. Tony leaving the Saints and going to Sydney. And in hindsight, it really was a win-win for both parties. Yeah, it, it makes it hard, doesn't it, Hals? Because as the group gets a bit older, you don't need to be putting your time and effort into those older-type players, you know, or players who should be mature enough to look after themselves. It takes all the focus away from, you know, just trying to get the team to play well together. So it, it can be a real distraction. So I suppose, as you said, it, it just... It just got everyone on the same page and, and working together and, and hopefully helping the Saints climb the ladder a bit. Yeah, and you would have played with guys like that too, mate. Like in the end, as they get older, they, they it almost they get grumpier or like it gets harder for them. And he was one of those guys. But yeah, it's sort of you do play with those sort of guys. But he was on the extreme end, and it just was the right time for him to go. It was um, win win. And I think he, uh, he he obviously did well up there. You know, he had. Big contract there for a long time, so he, he would have done really well. He loved it up there. 1997, a couple of years later, a sensational year for you. You win the first of your two Brownlows and your Saints go on to make a grand final. How do you look back on that year? <laughs> and I got I got married two, two, uh, two weeks after the grand final. Um, my, my brother played in the Sandful grand final the week after we played in between the grand, our grand final and the wedding. It was just a ma- massive... Um, <laughs> bit happening. Bit happening out here and... Uh, yeah, we look back now, and I swear, I'm, I'm my best mate's Drew Lowe. Um, obviously, Spud, you know, he'd, he'd finished by then. We always just talk about like just how <laughs> how close that was, you know, that that year. And I, I know, um, you know, Crawford, you played in that last one right at the end. But um, and thank God you did, because you, you, it's it's such a you know, it, it's forever. You know, like you, you think you look back. I never walking off that grand that's '97 grand final, thinking, oh, We'll, we'll be back here for sure. You know, we're too good. We're too good. We'll be back here for sure because we were raging hot favourites to win that game. And we were, you know, three goals up at half time. Even though we didn't play well, we were three goals up at half time in the grand final. Um, and you think, yeah, we'll be back. We'll, we'll be right. We'll make, we'll right the wrong. It just, it just it doesn't so that hard. You know, two, two and a half, three years later, we're bottom of the ladder again. And just it all unravelled everywhere. And you go, what the hell happened there? You know, how does that happen? How does that happen? At a club where um, what you're contending, you're thinking, "Yep, we're 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 on the edge of a dynasty here." And then three years three years later, we're bottom of the ladder, and you go, "That's um, that's not right." That's what happened, and and yeah, three. You think maybe sixty minutes later, could have it, if we had to play better, had to hold on, won that flag, things would be different. Probably would be, but they just didn't happen, and um, it was disappointing, really disappointing. It is quite incredible, and 12 months later, Stan Alves is sacked on the back of getting the Saints to the grand final 12 months earlier and doing such a great job in getting the group up. Where did it go wrong? Um, well, it's, you know what, I, even to this day, I don't really know the answer to that myself. I just know that it unraveled on in more than one level. Like So it's, and usually does, that's the thing, it usually does take more than just one one thing. It's not just the footy thing, it's not just the coach, it's the whole 
the the club. It's usually and and the the leadership. You're you. This is the one thing I've learned over a long time as a player. You're so much at the mercy of the leadership of the club. Like you, you're so much. Uh, you you got to make sure everyone's on the right the right the side of the pay the the boards on the 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 right the same page. The, the CEO, everyone's got to be there because it, it we. As a player, you just at the mercy of that. You really are. And Lowy, Stu Lowe and I have talked about this a number of times. Like we we we're at the mercy of, um, you know, decisions that are made, and and they, they need to be good ones, and they need to be right ones, and um, needs to be for the, the good. And I'm not saying they weren't or they were. I'm just saying, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what went wrong. I just, I just really don't. I, I it's, it's so disappointing, you know, to not to have walked out 380 games without a flag, and you go, well, that you know, that's. We just so much had our chances, but in the end, we just couldn't, as a club, keep it together for long enough for long enough periods um, over that that time. Um, Harv, some of the players you know that you certainly admired during your time, but some that sort of um, you know later on in your career, because uh, you did get a real good blend of um, draft picks coming through. So you know, it's, as you get a bit older in your career, when you're still playing, you see these young kids come through and you think, oh, these boys know what they're doing. This is quite good. It rejuvenates, especially the old fellas like ourselves when, you know, you have a bunch like that. You had a big bunch that came all in at the same time and had a real impact. Yeah, and, and, and maybe, I mean, you probably felt that a bit too towards the end when you have that new wave coming in where the Hawks, when you, you won your flag there. Um but oh, we did, mate, because because we because we had that period in '97 we were up, then we were right down. We we sort of we had, we managed to um, top up on really good draft picks. So we had Kaczynski and um, Rewalt, um, Del Sano, Goddard, Ball, all those guys, really high draft picks. So like we 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 got talent in really quickly again, and so in the end it was a bit like back in the early '90s for me. We we always ha- had this wave coming up again. And you could see they were good. Like I knew straight away they were good. So we had myself and Stephen Powell, Andrew Thompson, um, Berkey was and Lowy was sort of probably at the end then. But I was sort of just hanging on a bit, you know, but still playing okay. So you go, well, you know, like there's this, there's something, to, there's something to play for here. There's a real, there's a real feeling of of this, and the, you know, and then in ninety uh, two thousand and what, I can't remember four maybe. Um, you know, and they, and they had the Milne, the Montagna, the Montagna um, sexual assault stuff going on. Um, and then I remember Tomo got, getting us together at his house, Grant Thomas, and because it was after the we beat Geelong in the pre-season, whatever it was, grand final thing, and it, all that thing took place. And, and, and he got us all together at, at, at his house, and it was like this this feeling there was like, Big, you know, it was like, you know, we're we're a group here, we're together. Like, no matter what happens, we're sti- This is this is this is us together. Like, we're sticking by everyone here. Like, as this, it was a real feeling there, and we won 10, 10 straight. We were ten zip, and and we 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 should have. We, we ended up making the prelim and lost by a kick, um, to to put to put Adelaide. We went on to win that that grand final. And it was like it was there was something big going on in two thousand and five. We beat. Adelaide in Adelaide for the first final to, to get straight to, to earn the week off. Uh, and a three-quarter time in that game, in, in the prelim against Sydney, we're in front. They were in front in that game. They overrun us in the last quarter. They win the grand final. So we just couldn't quite get everything together for, for, for that longer period. But it was good talent. It was good talent there. It was good people there. Um, but, yeah, it was a, there was a lot of – there's still a lot of argy-bargy going on with presidents and, you know, like 
uh, board members and there was just so much all the time happening um, that uh, it just couldn't be settled. St Kilda, it sounds like at times sort of shot yourself in the foot off the field. Well, it just couldn't, there was no, it couldn't be stable enough for long enough. That's what it felt like. Um, and, you know, as I said, like, we, and yeah, we, 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 we look back as players and go, we should have done this, should have done that, of course. But you, you look at, you just look at good organisations now and you just go, well, and I'm not saying, St Kilda just did their best. Look, I'm just saying that they just did their best. But I had eight, seven, seven coaches over my journey. Um, and that's, that's not stable. That's not a stable environment. And I would have had that as many, if not more, presidents and CEOs. It's like I went through CEOs like for a while there. That, oh, I don't know how many, and those I would have been. But, it, but it's just not, st- not stable, not a stable environment. And uh, that's, that's tough, mate. That's tough to be able to get stuff done in, that, in those um, un. Those choppy times, it really is. And um, I know I'm jumping ahead, but I'm sure Quinny will bring us back. But um, <laughs> even this year, you know, obviously you've been an assistant coach at Collingwood for 10 years. Um, I love the fact that you said, listen, I'll take charge now that they've decided Nathan Buckley wasn't going to be, um, you know, coaching for the rest of the year. I love the fact that you said, listen, I'll do it. And it just makes sense because you, you've obviously been through um, your playing days where the club was a bit unstable at times and you knew, hang on, um, we've got to try and actually get things back on track. You knew that obviously there's a lot going on that you can't really control and there's a lot of noise from all different areas. But, um, you know, it was, it was that one of the factors, yes, I do want to take on, you know, the, the team and, and I want to be an, an AFL coach one day. But right now, my job's to take them on because I know I can help these guys because, Things are a little unstable, and we just need a, a bit of redirection. And you've experienced that in the past as a player. Yeah, well, I knew I knew straight away um, when Roddy Roddy called me about it that I knew that I was probably not going to be here after that. I knew that there was change was coming, and it had to come. So yeah, I knew that was the case. But I, yeah, and it, I think over that nine, ten, whatever, whatever it was, ten, nine, ten weeks, um, that that was the yeah. You're definitely right, mate. And it need, just needed to to show enough sprouts for, for the for the for the future and there's you know we obviously think we played nine debutants um this year and we just try to instill the right values in those young kids early enough and we wanted to pl- just free it up a little bit even on the field but um yeah that, that you're right and, and in the end uh, I knew I wouldn't I wouldn't be probably there this next year which is fine I've been there for 10 years so the time was right for me, and and then you know the change is, is inevitable. But um, yeah, I think that's the right man. And in the end, um, no, I was happy. I was happy with that. Um, and I thought that the attitude towards uh, the players and the future was good. And and I think I think the fans would see that. The Collingwood fans would see the excitement there. Now they 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 get the change thereafter. Um, they're able to, able to go forward and. Um, there's ex- genuine excitement there, I reckon, with the young guys and um, the the new wave that comes in. So yeah, I, th- I think that's I, I leave there, my head hits the, fill- the pillow after that that experience. Um, very comfortable that um, I did the right thing, and um, you know I, I I sort of handled what I what I needed to handle. I, it didn't sort of phase me the job. I, I was happy with you know I really enjoyed it. I loved loved it. I still got a passion for it. So yeah, I go elsewhere now for new challenges and hopefully. Um, Something something comes up, or but if it doesn't, I, I you know I'm, I'm as I said I'm comfortable in what I did and and and, what, and how it went. I'll touch on the coaching in just a sec. I just want to touch on a few more footy accolades first. And in 1998, you won your second Brownlow medal in two years. You polled 32 votes, comprehensively beating ironically Nathan Buckley. 
And this is where I want to get to the time where you saved my life. <laughs> because after you won the second Brownlow, I went to a sportsman's breakfast on grand final day, hosted by Sam Kikovich, and you were the guest speaker. Yes. Sam gave you some nice half volleys, which you put over the fence, and then he said, has anyone got any questions? I'm looking around, and no one asked one. I said, oh, I'll have a crack. I said, Mr. Harvey, sir, did this Brownlow mean more than last year? Because last year you were the fairest player, but possibly not the best because Chris Grant got more votes. But this year you were the fairest and the best player, so you fully deserved the Brownlow. And the gasp that went around the room, <laughs> Sam Kekovic said, no, son, you didn't just ask that. And fortunately, you quickly jumped in and said, yeah, it probably did mean more for there those you, very yeah. reasons. And you saved my skin. Right, yeah. I well, turned red with embarrassment. I was petrified. Yeah. But thankfully, you took it in the int- <laughs> took it the way say, it was intended. Yes, okay. Well, okay. I can't remember that incident happening, but I, it, when you said I say, I, I thought, gee, I must have been drunk one night, uh, or we were drunk together, and I was actually thought, I genuinely saved your life from it. <laughs> I was getting excited. You did. There was a lot of very angry people at me when I asked that question. So I'm going to ask it uh, again all these all? years later. Is, and is nah, the answer still nah. the same? Does that one mean a little bit more? Oh, no, nah, no. Nah, in the as Croft knows, like it's a midfielder's medal. Like so, in the end, um, I think the first one actually. Um, we, Kerry was an unbackable favourite. Wayne Kerry is unbackable favourite, so he probably should, he, and he hardly got any votes. So the midfielders seem to just always get those and always have. So in the end, yeah, we we know what it is. Croft, it's it's a midfielders club. There's a few ruckmen in there, but but in the end, um, yeah, we take it when it comes. And it, but it, yeah, the year after, yeah, it was just. I think it was just soured by the whole because Elvis has just been. I think he got sacked that day on the the day of the brown line. So. That was it. Was just so weird, you know. So it was, yeah, it was a crazy time, mate. It was a really crazy time, and um, it sort of was on the start of a fall for us as well as a club. So it wasn't. Um, no, it was. It was. It was a good experience, mate. And as I said, you take it when it comes. But yeah, you, you sort of you, you're understanding, fully understanding of how subjective that award is too. Do you appreciate it more in hindsight? Oh, not really. Be oh, you do. You do, oh, hundred percent. You do. Well, as in, it's it's a, it's obviously that tag that's with you but in the end um it's sort of when you don't have the the team that the, you know the team accolades around it, it sort of sits on its own a bit so you, you sort of it's it's always a funny one you know it's always a fun whereas Chris, even with Croft getting that that flag at the end it sort of comes together so, but it, if you don't have it like it's a bit like Bobby Skilton who you know, I don't think he played in a final or, or you know that's it doesn't it, you just you'd like to have the full package that's all that's that's the, that's what you'd like yeah History beckons. The AFL footy finals are here. Be a part of the action with Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, anytime goal kicker and total disposals all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available during the entire final series on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab. Long may we play. Available online for tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gamblers Help 1-800-858-858. We touched on the 2004 team and I think a lot of St Kilda supporters talk about that year as their favourite. The team was so exciting to watch. Unfortunately, it did end with that loss to Port Adelaide. But to be a part of that team where it was, OK, you're going to score 110, we'll score 130. What was that like as an elite midfielder? Yeah, that that was... We played some really exciting footy, like really exciting footy back then. And we... When you watch it back, like there was no, literally, it was almost like there was no team defence. It was just, it was like literally defenders defending, but it was so open in the middle of the ground. 
Um, and it was good footy. Like, it was good fun. Um, and we... We did. We did. We we were a good team. We we had a, and and Tomo Tomo is a good coach and he got us together. He was he was a good feel. He had this good feeling all the time. There was always a good feeling there. Um, you'd always leave his meetings feeling good. Yeah, we're going to beat him. Um, wasn't tactically, you know, like you know, we we we're moving all the magnets here or the chess pieces are there. It was, but it was just always a good feel there. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was just a good, fun time. It was a really good. It was just really nice to get that flag, you know. Like four or five, we should have got one, you know. And then obviously, I, I finished up, and nine and ten, they they should have got one there too. So we probably should have got one in the early nineties and two nineties, or somewhere in the nineties, we should have got one somewhere in the two thousand. Should have at least one, um, probably two. But we probably should have got two in the two thousands, to be honest. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's just they're just hard to win. They're very hard to win. What do you remember about that Saints team crawl from 2004? Uh, yeah, as Haas says, it was just super attacking. Um, and, but yeah, they just played with great confidence. And, well, they'd always kick our butts. Uh, back then, we were we were struggling big time. But, um, yeah, they were just a, a team that was certainly going somewhere. But I want to uh, I want to backtrack and ask Haas about his Brownlow. Yes, he's won two Brownlow medals. Um, I was super pumped that when I actually won one, he, had, he presented my Brownlow medal in Sydney. But... Yeah. Where are your Brownlow medals? What have you done with them? What, well, are you going to sell any of them? Are you going to no, hold on to them? Or right. No, I don't know. Well, I think they're at home, mate, or somewhere. Um, but I'll hang on to them, I reckon, mate, and um, pass them down. I've got four kids, so mate, they might have to rotate them around or whatever. <laughs> you pass them down to your kids. And I don't know what you're going to do with your yours, mate, with your four boys, but... Um, yeah, it'd be nice to get a couple of replicas to be able to hand them around, but um, no, nah, no, nah, it's good. To, it's good for the, the stay in the family, hopefully, and um, hopefully they they don't sell them. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I'm definitely going to sell mine. My kids aren't getting anything. I'm going to buy a race for. <laughs> you, you'll get you'll get heaps for yours too. You'll get top dollar, mate. Well, I'm hoping over twenty grand at least. Yeah, no, you'd be sweet with that. When Tomo moved on, he was replaced by Ross Lyon, who was very different by the sounds of it to Tomo, but a coach you sounded like you had an excellent rapport with. Yeah, yeah, he he, he was the best coach. I, I, he was probably the best coach I had in the fact that um, he was so um, tactically minded, and um, he's just yeah. I, I'm obviously pretty close with him now. He's a mentor of mine. I speak to him pretty regularly. I spoke to him a lot this year. Um, no, he's a good coach. He's a very, very good coach, and the way he teaches is so good. Um, he's pretty fiery, he's pretty hard, and he's pretty accountable. But he's so good. He's so good. He's he was like he was the coach that we just probably never had for a long time. I had a lot of coaches, and you know I had sort of Kenny Sheldon straight out of the game, like literally as a thirty year old, one of my good mates now, Kenny Sheldon. But like so hard to be like, and and you know he's he's coming out of footy almost no apprenticeship. Coaching and you know Timmy Watson off the news desk coaching and like I, I we had a lot of different coaches so um, th- this guy was done a full apprenticeship like really knew his stuff you know like real tactical oh, he, was, he was good mate he was so good and you know I know that those early those early Saints boys that had him just love him like absolutely love him he's right he's strong relationship stuff but he was so so accountable too like he really and he just like at team meetings and stuff. Like when he when he run a team meeting, no everyone no food, no drinks, no everyone everyone fully clothed. You know, full respect. You know, no no doing. You know, on the on the track, everyone together. Like to you know, like it was real respect stuff. Like it was something that I hadn't seen really before, 
And I'm thinking, this is this is this is the standards I haven't seen before. This is standards that's different, you know. This is what AFL footy should be like, you know. This is this is, and you know, I saw a real window of that late, you know, like real late to say this is um this is great. This is what it needs, and he was so good. He was so good. Do you think he'll coach again? We should. I think he should coach again. Um, and with the, I, I looks like with the Carlton thing that's gone, so it's probably unlikely now, isn't it? Like in the fact that if he was going to do it, it would be now. But he sh- he should. I think he should. I because th- I think to you know even talking to him a little bit, and I don't talk on his behalf clearly, but. He, I feel like he's got unfinished business. He should. He, he's a good enough coach to have won multiple premierships, I think. Um, but he's he's been on the wrong side of a couple, and um, I just think, yeah, he's got he's got plenty going on. So I, you know, I, I don't think there's a major. It's not it's not a desperation for him to coach again. But I, I think he should. I think he's. I think he's an he's an elite coach. In 1998, you called time on your brilliant career and your final game was against Shane Crawford <laughs> in a prelim final. Yeah. As per usual, you ran each other ragged. Yeah. What do you remember about that day and what do you remember about saying to Crawford at the end of the day? Yeah, I just knew. I just remember they just absolutely destroyed us. And they had the... I, I, I remember thinking at the time, because we we played the game and um, they, this, they had this new system of... Um, Defending, you know, this full team defence, and it just it felt different that day. I'm never forget trying to. I'm trying to outrun guys. Usually, you got this space you can outrun them, but I keep running into guys. You know, you can't. You, you just couldn't get through these this team. You know, they had this new system of defending, and um, I just remember thinking, this is this is the new wave. This is gonna. This is unbelievable. Um, and I know teams have done it, all that stuff, but this this is 08. and and I yeah. So the, and the other lasting memory I had in that game. Was um at the start of it, no one of us was going to have a chance to go out the right way. Um, but at the end of that, um, at the end of that prelim, I was thinking, I reckon Croft's going to get the fairy tale finish here. This team is not going to get beat. And um, I know that Geelong, you know, the the grand final was pretty pretty tight, but I just thought Haw- the Hawks are going to win this for sure. And uh, he's Croft's going to get what he need- deserves. At least one of us is going to going to go out in the right way, and that. I'm, I was wrapped for you, mate, because I remember say, speaking to you after the game and um, just thinking, "Gee, I hope you get it." Like I really do, because you know it's forever, isn't it? Like you look, you look back now, that one game, and you think, "Yeah, that's that's the way." And you to go out that way. Did you think about going on again? I, I haven't spoken to you about that. I, I was, uh, I debated whether or not to go on, but um, I, I sort of knew, nah, don't be greedy, <laughs> don't, yeah, yeah. don't be greedy. But, you know, like that was always a backup if, you know, if we couldn't sort of get across the line to hang around and still try and get that dream. But I do remember uh, coming together with you at the end of the game and, and you said to me, go, go and win next week, go and win next week, you yeah. know. And I remember, um, you know, taking that on board, which was great. But, um, you know, it was also, you know, because you being a role model for so many midfielders out there, you know, it was a really touching night because we knew that was the last we're going to see Robert of Robert Harvey playing um, so uh, yeah it was yes yes we won and um, but it was also pretty special to a lot of our midfielders because we had nothing but great respect for yeah the great Robert Harvey uh, and that's pretty, was... pretty much the only way we can stop you is actually a team defence and a zone like that and no, I can assure you I'm like where it was, was awesome. this 10 years? It, was, it was so good where, it was, where a... was this 10 years ago yeah it was it was really good 
No, nah, but I, I was I was genuinely wrapped for you because it, it was I just felt like um of all the blood, sweat, and tears you put in, like you you, you think yeah you're gonna get your chance, like and I just genuinely hoped like because it came down to that one game for you, and I knew you know like this was it for you're probably gonna be now or never. For for one of us, and it was just good that you got it. Like it was, good. you got a, you got the chance, and b, you finished it. Like, a, and you um, obviously played so well on Grand Final day, but but in the end, that's what it's about, you know. Like, cause you you you, you don't realise it at the time, but it's forever. Like, so you you look back now, and you had the chance, and you and you and you're able to nail it. The, the team was able to nail it for Croft on that on that um that occasion. It was so good. And I, the one thing I do regret about that that whole because Ross Line. Because I was, I was actually still half going okay that year. Like I was, I was too old. I should have probably finished up before that. But I was sort of more helping him. I was helping him a bit too along the way because he was a young coach. And but he, I always said to him, like whenever I'm, whenever I'm done, you tell me. Just call me in. And he's about around thirteen, fourteen. He calls me in and goes, I reckon, I reckon it's time. And I said, okay. So, but but I shouldn't have called it. You know, like you know, I don't know what whether players do that now or not. They probably do, but I just I called it at the time, like, and so I had this guard of honour for seven or eight weeks, and it was just it was just embarrassing, you know. Every every game, <laughs> even that game, like they, they won the prelim, and they have to worry about putting this guard of honour at the end of. I rather just do it at the end. I think Lee Montagna did; they just did it after the, the thing, but that, that was exhausting by the end. But no, nah, it was um yeah, I was wrapped for Croft. It was it was one of us was going to get a crack and it was it was good that um, he, he was able to be a premiership player. Now, you played really well in your final year, 2008. The following year, St Kilda did not lose a game till t- round 11 and went on to make a grand final. Were you sitting back going, geez, maybe I called this a year early? Well, may, may, well they're, they're probably thinking maybe you called it too late. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, um, no, I remember, and I remember being at that game, that Geelong game, and... The grand final, this grand is? Grand final, and... I'm thinking they're all over the first half. They're all over them. They just hit entry after entry, and I was thinking they've got to win this game. They have to win this game. They're dominating, and they just couldn't finish. So the the, the difference in the game, this there's the, our some killer small forwards, Milne, and they just couldn't quite finish their work. And then Chapman, and that's just not missing. Like Stevie Johnson, they're just not missing. So they're getting their chances, and, they go, and it's just thinking, oh, it's it's so tight, it's so tight, and. You know, six it was sixty four entries to forty or something for the game, and I was thinking that you don't lose games of footy like that, but they did. You know, and the year after was probably a bit the other way, and they still lost it. You know, like they should have won those. You know, I was thinking, and I was talking to Ross about it. He showed me a bit of vision after the the game, and it was just yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy how they lost that. There's a famous story uh, back in the day. You had a foot injury, and the only way to fix it was pretty much snap whatever the issue was. So you famously would get up on the kitchen bench and you kept jumping off the bench trying to snap something in your foot. Is that true? Um, it is true. And it, it is, it's actually the thing that I get asked about the most now. Like, so I'm, I'm 50 now, but it's the thing I get asked the most about. But it's the injury is actually called um, the plantar fascia injury. It's the bottom of your foot. So do you know what that is? Yes. Yeah. Have you ever had No, I haven't, thankfully. No, no. but it, so... It's literally the um, that that arch in your foot, and Fraser Gehrig and Cozzy had had that injury, and they'd played they played all the way through, or they played a number of weeks or even months, and to, and they they had this injury, it wouldn't go away, and I remember Fraser saying how painful it was, and it didn't go away until it actually snapped in the game. So they used to inject it, and I was thirty three or something at the time, 
uh, when I got it. I first got this, and you usually get it from changing. So I might have changed my boots or something. You get you get this injury. Anyway, so um, I went to the doctor and I said, "What's going? On? What, what do I do with this?" And he goes, "We're well, just gonna have to like get injections." The boys have had it. They had it for eight weeks, um, and then eventually it snaps in the game, and then you're fine. I said, "Well, hang on. Like if if it's get if it's it's fine when it snaps." Why wouldn't you just rush the snapping bar? Because it's not going to get better. And they said, "Well, well, technically you're right, but I, we, you can't do that." And I said, "Why not?" And he, he, they said, "Well, it just—it's not what you should. We can't recommend that you do—you do that. It's—it's—it's well, it's, it's just not the done thing." And I said to the physio, "Well, I guarantee you, right now, I'm looking you in the face. I'm not going through this in my last. Well, I was thinking my last year. I'm not, I'm not going through this pain for another eight weeks for this just to snap it. I'm going to snap it now." And he goes, he sort of laughed at me and he started, he, he had a guy on the massage table, he started going, yeah, yeah. So so I got home and, and I had, I probably had um, three kids then, younger kids, and I, so I shoot them all out in, in, into the um, front room and I went out, I went out to the back, in up into the back uh, backyard and I had a big um, table, like an outdoor table and I, it was, it was, was higher than a normal table was. So, and I jumped on the top of that and, Started jumping off it to try and snap it, and um, your, your natural, your so your subconsciously is protect it. So I just couldn't let it go. So I was, I was up there for ten minutes. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. I thought this is just, this is ridiculous. And like, what am I doing? And um, if someone had, you know, filmed this, I'd just look like a goose, you know. And um, anyway, so eventually I go, just get up there and just let it go. Just let it go. Because I must have just been protecting it, and then so sure enough, got up and just bang, like snapped straight away. Um, and down I went. I was it was the, uh, the most pain, I reckon the most pain I've ever been in. And I ro- I'm rolling around the ground. My foot immediately goes black, like all the bottom of my foot immediately goes black. And then whack it in an ice bu- bucket straight away. And then an hour later, I take it out of the ice bucket and go, hang on, how good is this? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling 100%. Here. I'm feeling 100%. It's all black. I said, I'm feeling I'm feeling 100. So, so I go into the club the next day and I, I just take my shoe off and I go into the physio and I just show him the black foot. I said, done, mate. All good. And he's, and he's going, no, no way. And I get these, um, these, um, Physio students, or what do they call the podiatry students? Email me all the time, and they they say this 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 old wives' tale that you did this thing, and I just say oh, I don't. I, now now I just say no, I didn't do it. I'm sick of it because they, 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 they don't they never believe me. They say it's I know it's not true, but can you just confirm? No, it's not true. But it, but a year after it happened, so so because I and then so I played straight away, no trouble. Like so, hundred percent. Like a day later, not even an issue. So, anyway, so six months later, finish the season. I get a call from a guy from West Coast, and he rings me and he goes, "Mate, I'm in trouble. I've got this um, plantar fasciitis." And I said, "Oh, you poor bastard! <laughs> like it's a shocker, isn't it?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, it's like someone's driving a nail in my foot." And I said, "Yeah, I'm hearing you. Um, did you did you really jump off that table, or did you jump off that thing and get it fixed?" And I said, "Mate, 100 percent works in a charm. Like works a treat." You got to do it. You absolutely got to do it. So he takes it to the next level. He, he gets on a fence. He gets on a fence and jumps off and breaks his ankle. Oh! But, but fixes. But fixes his um. He fixes his flashes. He's out for like tw- twelve months. So I, I was expecting a, a lawsuit in the mail off off, off um off him, but no, nah, it's it, def- it definitely happened. And it, de- it was 
Yeah, it was a weird one. It was a weird one. It was get asked about a lot. Well, you played 383 what, games, and a lot of the other players that played a hell of a lot of footy had great luck with injuries, but not you. You had a lot of injuries along the way. Yeah, when you look, when you think, like, I played my first game at 16, and I still was playing in my mid-30s. Like, I missed a lot of footy. I, I would have had, um, well, I had a shoulder reconstruction, a knee reconstruction, and an ankle reconstruction. So that's those three. And then I had a bout of... Um, glandular fever. Glandular fever, yeah. So I missed that for... Half a season, I would have had numerous quaddy calf hamstring injuries, like I don't know, whatever five, five, six, seven or eight each. Um, so yeah, I would, have, I would have missed near enough to 80, 80 games, I reckon, over my journey, 80 to 100 games. So yeah, I, missed, I had a lot of injuries, I didn't have a lot of luck. I, only, I reckon I only played out of all my years, I only would have only played three, three or four full years. Yeah, so I missed, I missed games nearly every year. Major, we would have done if he was healthy, Croft. Well, I, I didn't know about your knee and your ankle and, you know, those type of injuries, which is quite remarkable when you think about the amount of running you did and, and the amount of games that you played. Um, wow. Yeah, um, but you think, but, and I oh, think about all the punishment and stuff, and I'm now 50, and you go, look, but I'm still lucky enough to just go for a trot if I want to. Like, I'm just, I don't know how you're going with that, but but you have bad knees and stuff, I, I can still... My, I get creaky and achy, but I'm I'm still okay to go for go for a trot if I want to. Yeah, no, I uh, I I just got to start off slow and just ease into it. And sometimes you can feel like you want to run a bit faster, and sometimes you just pull up and go for a walk. But uh, no, I'm still luckily holding together. Um, yeah. But yeah, you just you just start to feel your age a bit. Unfortunately, that's about it. Yeah. But yeah. some of my teammates are terrible. They're they're horrendous. Yeah, well, so I'm so yeah, my, I'm same mate. Like. Um, bone on bone stuff they can't run yeah but yeah, hips hip replacements at the age of 50 and all that stuff yeah, very lucky some coaching questions and then some of the highlights <coughs> from your career you were the Collingwood caretaker coach in 2021 what's your desire like to be a senior coach in the future well two, I reckon two years ago I was desperate like I would have been desperate I was desperate to do it uh, the good thing about this experience for me was um that I can do it. I I felt like that it didn't it didn't didn't throw me. Like I sort of I think it got better as it went. Um. So I mean, clearly you learn from it. So I do do things differently. But yeah, I'd love to do it. I'd I'd love to to be able to have a crack at it now that I've experienced. And you still, even though it's a caretaker, for not you still experience the pressure of it. You still you still experience. It's still pressure to win. It's still pressure to. to Get it done. They still manage people, manage staff. It wasn't like it was four weeks. It was nine or ten weeks. So it was a good. It was a good snapshot into the whole thing. Um, there's a lot in it, and there's a lot of management in of, of, of people and of um, environments and stuff. So that it was. It was a good experience, mate. I, I really enjoyed it. it it's um, it's still there for me, um, but it's not a desperation. I know. I know. In this caper, there's an expiry date with all this stuff. So in the end, if it's there, it's there. Um, I, I think I can do it. Um, actually, I know I can do it. It's it's just a matter of um, where the opportunity comes, and if it doesn't, it's fine. I'll, I'll do I'll do I'll do something else. Hey, uh, Harves, um, taking Collingwood midfield out of it, which midfielder in the competition, if you're putting a team together, uh, would you pick first? Who's your favourite player? Oh, um, midfielder. Midfielder. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know what you reckon, but it's like it's, I feel like there's that much more to choose from these days in midfielders. Like they it's, it's just I don't know why, but they they just they seem 
better. Like there's so much more to choose from. Um, tell you what, I'm I'm developing a um, great respect and love for Jackson McRae, the way he how he plays. Like he's he's so consistent and so good with his decision making. Um, yeah, I think Oliver the same. Like Clayton Oliver just become an unbelievably good player. Like and fittingly they're going to play off each in the against each other this week. But this this game is going to be a midfield off this thing. Like it's going to be these two midfielders just unbelievably at their at their best. And the dogs have got their mojo back. But I would I would say um, with the the the, the, the midfielders lie in those two teams. I reckon like Petraka and Oliver are so good now. And Bonson Pally and McRae are so good for and Libba Libba is a gun. He is a good, good player. Like very, very important, such a such a good cog in that team. Um I, I think they're they're the best midfielders going around. I mean you've got your danger danger I think Cripps if Cripps gets himself right, he's unbelievably good player as well. But I, I don't know. What do you reckon? I yeah, no, those ones that you just said are, are quite amazing. I'm, I am loving Walsh's development. Yeah. Um, you know, especially a side that struggled yet he's still he's obviously a running machine and you know puts his head over the footy. So you admire um, players like that. But um, yeah, you can't help but love no. the, the midfield of the two teams at the grand final. All right, let's finish with some hard hitting questions. Here we go. Best player you ever played with. Well, that, that is so easy, Tony Lockett, it, it, by a million miles. Yeah, there we well, go. not a million miles, like, but I played with some really good players. But he was, he was a very, he was a star. He was unbelievable. Now we're having a favourite out market, so you can't say Shane Crawford because it's the obvious answer, yeah. and he answered you when I yeah. asked him the same question. Best player you ever played against? Well, the early days, I would say Greg Williams, like as a, just a dead set, just gun player. Uh, then, probably later. I like Cousins as well. Like, I really, really like Ben Cousins as a player. Like, I, th- I thought he was a really good player. Um, and Wayne Carey, like, just used to dot, just tear us apart. Wayne Carey was unbelievable. At Cro- his best. Croft, throw a few hard ones in, please. Well, the, well what, the Wayne Carey one, yeah. Like, he was the only player that could virtually win a game off his own boot. He was, he was uh, just remarkable. But, uh, okay, halves. Uh, who's going to win the flag? Well, I reckon the dogs are going to win, but it's going to be tight. I reckon it's going to be a tight game. But it, it's um, yeah, I, I, they they just both hit their straps at the right time. These two teams, haven't they? Like, I think it's going to be a ripper. I I, I reckon it's going to be that tight this game. Like, it'll come down to a kick either way. But I just think the mid the um, three weeks ago. The dogs, um, they the dogs had lost their bite around the ball, but they've got it back big time, you know, and it's um, it's going to sting. Like so, if they can't stop that midfield of the dogs, they're in trouble because they, they're they're so they're so good, they're so good when they go, and you can't that they they don't win contested ball by five or ten, they win it by twenty, twenty five, and thirty. Like Port Adelaide, a really good contestable team. They just they just dominated, you know. They're, they're so good with um. The contested ball, like I, I think, I think the dogs will win, mate. I really do. I, th- I think they'll beat, um, but it'd be tight. It'd be very tight. Most memorable victory? Um, yeah, I reckon always the prelim, the, the the one to get into the grand final. That feeling that you're in there, like I reckon, I'll never forget that. That feeling of going, actually beating, it was North Melbourne to get to know that you're in the big dance. That's the one, like you never forget. And, and all the prelims really I played in, they're, they're big games. Like, you, you just don't forget those ones. And I don't remember much footy at all. 
I hardly remember any games I played, but I always remember those big games. Like, and I played in seventeen. I was lucky to play in seventeen finals, so I played in a lot of finals. But the, the big, the big games, you know, forget. It's funny because a lot of players out there can recall a lot of games, whereas I'm like, oh, I don't know what happened there, or did we win that match? Yeah. Whereas. Uh, there's a reason you can't remember is because you haven't 40 touches a game. <laughs> they all just blend nah, in. I've just got a bad memory. I, I, I can't remember anything. <laughs> I can't remember last week. <laughs> remember the good times. All right, yeah. final from me. Best sledge you heard on the field and best spray you heard from a coach. Well, the best the best spray was numerous. Like, would would have been Stan Elves a few times. Like, so he was the best at a spray. But he used to... And Berkey, myself, and Lowy were always the the culprits. But it, David Grant, in particular, one 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 day um, he was chasing David Grant around the rooms at the Wacker. One day, <laughs> pointing him in the ch- poking him in the chest, obviously. Um, and we're actually the Eagles were a gun team then, so we're actually playing the right half. But he, ha- he obviously had <laughs> something he didn't like about David Grant. And David Grant is a good mate of mine, so we talk about it now. But he actually um, he was sort of. We all come in, and it was a bit of a shock. So he's giving him the pointing him in the chest, and he fell down the stairs because he's backing up, and he fell down the <laughs> stairs. And it was always, always like you get a laugh, but it was full on. Um, it was a full on spray. Um, so that he, he, that would have been the one I reckon for that one. Um, sledge, don't know. Like so many, so many, so many sledges. There's so many ordinary ones too <laughs> for over the journey. Um, no, I, I can't. I honestly can't. Rem- I need some time on that one. To, to be honest, I can't remember anything. To be honest, but um, the best, the best probably sledger was Lib- um, Tony Liberatore. He was good at his craft. He he, he loved to sledge. Um, I just can't remember. Or we can't really repeat too much of what he said. But he um, he was a good sledger. A terrific player and a very, very frustrating one for opponents. But you're an absolute legend, Robert. We appreciate you having a chat with us so much today. It's been terrific going down memory lane. Cheers. Thanks Thanks for having me on, boys. Thanks, Croft. Good on you, Harv. Good on you, mate. The great Robert Harvey and punters, you've been listening to Tabs Inside 50. History beckons. The AFL footy finals are here. Be a part of the action with Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, anytime goal kicker and total disposals all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available during the entire final series on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858.